You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hello, Mosaic. What's up? My name is Wendell Williams, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Mosaic, particularly and specifically with our middle school and high school students. And before we jump into the message, I want to give you a quick update on Take to Give. Many of you over the past few weeks have contributed to, to Take to Give through your giving and through your faith. And I want to let you know that this summer we'll be able to offer not only full and partial scholarships to over 25 students that are going to be traveling to Santa Fe, New Mexico this summer. So yeah, you can clap for that. That's, all, that's awesome. We'll, we'll actually be taking 75 to 80 students to camp. So in large part, that is due to your, your sowing, to your giving. Um, and if you're a parent who has not signed up your kiddo yet, there's still time because we want every single student that wants to participate, that wants to go to camp, to be able to go to camp. So get them on the bus, it's like, as we like to say, uh, because one week can change everything. That's right. Um, let's, let's pray and then we'll jump into the word. Lord God, we thank you for today. I pray that your will will be done here on earth, Lord God, as it is in heaven. That you would help us to love and to see one another how you love and see each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we've, we've discussed this topic before, but maybe it's your first time hearing it. And that is this thought that teenagers don't necessarily need us for information anyway. They can access almost instantaneously any information they'd like to receive with countless possible answers. And so the question isn't whether faith or whether God is big enough to hold young people's questions. We know he is. The question is whether we will take the time to hear and honor them. Questions of identity, who am I? Belonging, where do I fit? Purpose, what difference can I make? And for the record, these aren't just young people questions. They are people questions. In talking with, with one of my good friends this past week, we talked about intimacy, the desire to, to be known, feel connected, feeling connected, but not really connected, and how, you move, how do you move into a place of trust like that with yourself, with others, with God? And as we shared thoughts and prayers and ideas and scripture, and of course music, we wondered if Pulitzer Prize winner Kendrick Lamar posited some of the same questions in his latest album, where he asked, do you love me? Do you trust me? Can I trust you? Don't judge me. Tell me you're in my corner right now. When I fall short, I'm leaning on you to cry out. We all got enough to lie about. My truth too complicated to hide now. Can I open up? Is it safe or not? It's been said that being known without being loved is rejection. And being loved without being known is merely fitting in. But neither loved nor known is being ignored and rejected entirely. 
We were made to be in a relationship, in a relationship with ourselves, in a relationship with others, and with God, and for those relationships to glorify him. But then why are there times, if we're being honest, when our relational lives and our, even our spiritual lives don't feel very vibrant or fruitful? Seasons of feeling alone, disconnected, and isolated tend to amplify not only our individual shortcomings, but our culture's preference of internal feelings, even in the face of opposing evidence. And for all the past few years could have taught us, should have taught us, somehow we re remain intellectually and emotionally disconnected from the infinite soul-staggering grandeur for which we were made. In other words, as maybe you've heard our middle school or high school students put it, we're all just sort of blah. <laughs> we were not made to be alone. In fact, God was pretty specific about that when he formed Eve in the garden and presented her to Adam. And yet despite our collective resourcefulness and ingenuity in aiming to stay connected, to keep relationships intact, to keep life on track, reportedly we feel more alone than ever. I guess it's safe to say that we feel alone together. But if most of us are experiencing aloneness to some degree, then why is it so difficult for us to admit it? Like, no one wants to say that they are lonely. In fact, we have one-liners and masks prepared for this as adults. And yes, even at church. Maybe you've, you've tried on this mask. It's Sunday morning, you're running behind for service, you know she doesn't like to be late, but you just had to fill in the blank. So now you're late, you're in an argument, you pull into the church parking lot, get out of the car, preparing to come into the building. And someone asks, how are you this morning? <laughs> you don't wanna lie, not this early in the morning anyway, and so you don't verbally respond, you just grin and hit them with the wave and the head nod and keep moving to your seat, all while hoping they're not that type of person that really wants to know how you're doing. Some of y'all know yourself very well. You park all the way out in parking lot C so you have enough time to put that mask on. <laughs> and while we as adults may have a few more social tools and reference points to process what we are experiencing, are we unintentionally teaching our young people to prepare their masks? As we instruct them by saying things like, you better fix your face before we go in here. <laughs> and rather than feeling like they have to put on their own masks, and stuff it all down. Our hope should be that they see us modeling for them what Paul tells us to do as fellow believers in his, letters, in his letter to the church in Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What can help us feel not alone in these difficult times? Knowing that we don't have to carry that weight all by ourselves. And what can help our teens and students feel not alone as they try to navigate something that no other teenager or no other previous generation of teenagers has had to navigate. The same thing, knowing that this weight that they are being asked to carry is a weight they do not have to carry by themselves. But how can we carry that weight? I believe we can take a look and we can do so by taking a look at three things. What contributes to teenagers feeling isolated and alone? How does this impact them and us, and what can we do to help? There are a variety of factors that contribute to teenage 
feelings of isolation and loneliness. And I believe that you all are a very wise bunch. Anytime I talk like that, you know I'm about to ask you to do something. <laughs> and so the top seven answers are on the board. Let's see. This side of the room, y'all won the coin flip, fast money round, paper, scissors, rock, y'all are up. Um, What contributes to teenage feelings of loneliness and isolation? What do you think? Throw it out there. Social media, media, look at y'all. Ding, 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 number one answer. (laughs) Number one answer. What else, what else contributes? Peer pressure, absolutely. What else? Anybody can answer now, they on a roll. They finna go to the end of the game and win it all, come on. Bullying. Bullying, absolutely. All of these things contribute to teenagers feeling a sense of loneliness and isolation. Social media, recent relocation, moving to a new area, a new school, being bullied, excluded, lack of meaningful friendships and connections, depression, social anxiety, body image issues, And of them, social media may be the most alarming. And I don't want to sound like that dude that's like, well, back in my day, or the problem with you kids today is, but in a recent Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, former creators and executives and engineers, they share thoughts about the grave mistakes that they've made contributing to building something they can no longer control. One of them had this to say, he said, if something is a tool, like a hammer, a wrench, it genuinely is just sitting there, waiting patiently. But if something is not a tool, it's demanding things from you. We've moved away from having a tools-based technology environment to an addiction and manipulation-based environment. Social media isn't a tool that's just waiting to be used. It has its own goals, its own means of pursuing them. And that's by using our own psychology against us. Perhaps the most dangerous piece of it all is the fact that it's driven by technology that's advancing exponentially. Roughly from the the 1960s to to today, computer processing power has gone up about a trillion times. And nothing else that we have has improved anything near that rate. I mean, we do have cars, they can go like twice as fast, but Everything else is is negligible. From TV screens to mobile devices to social media, we know something is wrong. We actually know we are missing something. Why do we feel that way? Aren't our lives getting better because of the digital revolution? Despite having more social interaction online than ever before, we have a loneliness epidemic. This loneliness sits on our culture like a heavy blanket. It is a social sickness and it's harming our souls. This is one of the major contributing factors to our decline in mental health. Consider these factors, these statistics regarding Generation Z. 44% of Gen Z say they feel lonely at least some of the time, which includes 20% who feel lonely a lot of the time. 79% of the same generation says they are lonely. Teens 13 to 17 years old report spending an estimated over five hours on screens per day, a number that increases to almost seven hours for ages 18 to 21. 60% of Gen Z agree their generation spends too much time on screens. 
We know that excessive reliance on digital technology with all those unrealistic ex expectations from the world produces social withdrawal, self-neglect, poor diet, family conflict, and increases depression. We know that social communication and the quality of human interaction reduces as we rely and use more digital technology. We know. Yet we fall prey to the illusion of companionship, gathering thousands of Twitter, Instagram, TikTok followers, and Facebook friends. And we confuse tweets and wall posts with authentic communication. Put another way, technology has become the architect of our intimacies. How does this impact them and us? In that same documentary, Social Dilemma, it states that this relentless sense of connection leads to deeper loneliness and isolation where we conflate likes, follows, and shares with value and truth, which in turn leaves us feeling more vacant and more empty. Now we just multiply that by two billion people. When a culture doesn't value caring, the sharing of feelings, what happens to those feelings? Where do we put them? What we tend to do in American culture with those feelings is to suppress them, or at least try to. And ultimately, we experience societal regression. To regress means to revert to primitive modes of expressing oneself and relating to others. It entails less impulse control, a diminished tolerance for anxiety and a reduced capacity for rational thinking, such as the ability to make sound decisions. Regression is a response to anxiety and the internal signal that there is imminent threat or danger. My wife and I, because that's a lot of words, let me give you a, an example. <laughs> we plan to get in, in the gym this summer, but there's a challenge. I love chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and so if I decide to throw a fit because I'm not getting my way, I'm not getting the chocolate chip cookies and express my dissatisfaction with that by stomping my feet and yelling at the top of my lungs and shaking my head, that would be me regressing. Yeah. You would witness me having less impulse control, a diminished tolerance for anxiety. And my wife would say, you still ain't getting no cookies. <laughs> you would witness that regression at the individual level. But with groups, Groups have a tendency to regress and behave more primitively than individuals do. So what does it look like for a society to regress? There are several factors. I'm going to share a few with you. One is a loss of individual identity. During group regression, a person loses touch with his or her individual identity, his or her stable gender and body image, and of continuity between past, present, and future. And for this group, there's both an in-group and an enemy out-group. And individual distinctions are erased for both. One group sees the other group as if they were one person, devoid of the individual differences among people assigned to that group. Again, y'all looking at me like it's a lot of words for Sunday morning, bro. All right, so I need some, some volunteers. I need about six volunteers. I need six volunteers. We get three on this side and then three on this side. Boom, Pastor Corey, come over here. One more, come on, you got it. Come on. And so, in this example, y'all can stand and just face that way, right? 
Y'all can clearly see them, right? Okay, because y'all are going to judge the dance contest. Get ready. No, just, no, not really, not really, not really. But <laughs> you can see all three of them. But when it comes to this so type of social regression, y'all go ahead and turn and face me, but stay in one line. Y'all do the same, turn and face me and stay in one line. When this group looks at this group, they don't see all the beautiful intricacies and the complexities that make them up. And this group doesn't see this group and all the beautiful intricacies and complexities that make them up. All they see is one person, not the whole group. Thank y'all, y'all can have a seat. Give, give you a picture. Another is the us-them split, meaning the use of shared symbols or stereotypes dehumanize members of the other group and often depict them with progressively more subhuman traits. They are a disease. They're dirty. They're vermin. It's all of us versus all of them. Another is cutting family, family ties is a, a prime example of a regressed society when children don't get their most basic needs met, they experience the world then as uncertain, insecure, and unpredictable. Another is the perversion of morality. When the in-group experiences a second group as a threat to its identity and worldview, a new morality is used to justify atrocities against members of the outside group. Think slavery, human trafficking, and the list goes on and on, purifying rituals. Another is magnification of minor differences. You and I could have a hundred things in common, but instead of our relationship focusing on the hundred things that we have in common, we magnify one difference. And because of that difference, we can't have relationship. And one of the last ones I will share is the destruction of the environment. Yeah, some of you are like, man, I don't care about the environment. I don't recycle. <laughs> I understand. But when we overuse and misuse forests, swamplands, and compromise environments' ability to sustain life, okay, y'all looking at me again like I have a lot of words. It might sound like this. Let's just build rockets, leave this place behind, and go to Mars. We've used it up. And that's the bad news. So what can we do to help? This past week, Pastor Morgan wrote an email, stated 526, he sent it out to the church, and in this email is brilliantly written. Yeah. I encourage you to go, I see some of y'all not here, like I already read it twice, exactly. I encourage you to go and read it. If you don't subscribe to our email list, go check it out, subscribe, read it, get it from a friend. It is it's beautiful, and it's challenging, and it's for us. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to share a few ways. That was your bonus. That, that wasn't That was your bonus. But I want to share just a few ways that we can help. One is, of course, to pray. We know many of, of you intercede on behalf of our students and on behalf of our families. Just yesterday, we had several members of our congregation show up to pray and lay hands on our graduating seniors at our senior brunch. 
and they spoke destiny and called out truth and victory and blessing over them as they get ready to go out into the, the next endeavors. What can we do to help? We can be consistent. Parents, I know it's sometimes a challenge to, to get your students on Sundays, get, get them here on Sundays or to events. But I encourage you and I challenge you to prioritize the role Mosaic students plays alongside you in the discipleship of your teenager. Third, we can look for questions. Last week, we, we asked in our student service, our middle school students and our high school students, we asked them, what has helped you not feel alone? And of course, while their answers included video games and food, the overall and overwhelming things they shared were faith, family, friends, and you. Their spiritual family, their spiritual community. You are a vital part of their spiritual formation. And lastly, how can you help? As we transitioned back from being solely online, if you look around on, on any given Sunday, you'll see teenagers holding a camera, sitting behind a camera, helping direct our broadcast. And a lot of that has to do with Mr. Jamie Smith, our broadcast director. Give him a round of applause. Week in and week out, he's helped those students, our students, to transition from isolation to impact, which is what we call a, a purpose pivot. We don't have to just focus on the problems. We can help them turn and pivot to something that is vital to our service. If you're at home on, online right now, you are benefiting from it. The reality is how we react now sets a precedent for later. And as we get ready to close this morning, let us be reminded by Psalm 139 that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what trials may come, no matter what evil may think it's done to us, no matter what darkness we might encounter, we are not alone. Would you read Psalm 139, verses seven through 12 from the screen with me? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I pray that's an encouragement for you. If you're feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, there's no place, nowhere that we can go that God is not with us. Let's close in prayer. Father God, once again, I thank you for today. And just as we begin, I, I pray the same thing, that your will 
will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you would teach us, Lord God, that you would train us, that you would help us to see and love one another as you see and love us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.